0: Well, my name is Nate, if we don't know each other, we'd love to meet you at some point. I'll be in the lobby uh, right after this if you would like to do that. But before we jump into the message today, there are just um, a few things that I wanna let you know about. Um, First, uh, tonight at 6 p.m., we're gonna have a night of prayer right here in this room. um, And that uh, prayer will be specifically centered around victims of sexual abuse. Um, on Monday of this past week, we sent out an email with, um, with an update about the Grace Investigation that's going on. And if you did not receive that, uh, we would love to make sure that you do. And so um, please let us know that you're not on our email list and we'd love to get you on there. But um, we're gonna pray for victims of sexual abuse because God cares about victims of sexual abuse. And so that's tonight at 6 p.m. We'd love to have you join us in here for that. Um, I also wanna let you know about what's coming up Uh, the next few Sundays. So next week, um, Pastor Barry is going to be preaching on Philippians chapter two, this really beautiful passage in Philippians chapter two. That'll be awesome. I'm gonna be on vacation next week and I'm excited about that. And then um, June 6th, we start a new series called How to Think Like Jesus, where we're gonna spend the months of June and July looking at some of Jesus' parables from the Gospel of Luke And so uh, you can look forward to that on June 6th. And then June 13th, we are starting our Uh, summer schedule. And so during the summer, uh, we're intentionally trying to build community as a church. And so starting June 13th, one of the ways that we're gonna try to facilitate more community is by moving to a two-service format for the summer. And so 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. will be the service time options. And so uh, be aware of that because you're uh, at a 10 o'clock service, and that service won't exist. It'll either be nine or 1045. So you can choose to go early or stay later, all right? Um, But yeah, that's it. Today, what we're doing is concluding our series called Built to Last. And what we've been doing in this series is uh, we've spent seven weeks, Today is the seventh week, talking about some of the core habits and core values that mark us as a church. Um, This fall, by God's grace, we're celebrating 75 years of ministry here in Renton, and that's incredible. Um, And we're super grateful for that, but we want to be built to last. And so, what are the core habits and values that we need to embrace if we're going to do that? So, that's what this series has been about. So, let's review that real quick. So, the four core habits we've got to gather, commit, serve, and retreat. Gather, commit, serve, and retreat. And why must we gather? Because we believe in Bible teaching and we believe in worship. Why must we commit? Because we believe in community. Why must we serve? Because we believe in next generation ministry. We believe in local kindness and we believe in global missions. And why must we retreat because we believe in prayer. So today, we're concluding the series by talking about Global Missions because I messed up and got us out of order. Uh, So (laughs) that's why we're going backwards. So sorry about that. Um, So today, Global Missions. Um, Global Missions has always been central to the vision of this church. Um, This church was founded in 1946 and some of you know this story, but before the founding pastor, Pastor Wally Wilson, before he ever received a full-time salary from this church, we were already supporting missionaries. We were supporting the Rubesh family, and we were supporting Russ and Mary Draper, who were the first full-time missionaries sent out from Highlands to the continent of Africa. That's an incredible, idea, that before they were even paying for the work to be done here, they were thinking globally. That's always been central to this church. Why is that? Why do we care about global missions? Certainly there are reasons you could think of that are valid that would argue against wanting to care about that. I mean, like, don't we have enough things going on here? Do we really need to think about all the things going on in the world? Or isn't it arrogant to think that just, you know, a little group of people outside Seattle that we're going to try to make a difference, you know, globally? Is that just trying to, you know, validate our importance or something? Or is it offensive that we would try and go around the globe and impose our beliefs on other people? Isn't that kind of offensive and arrogant? So why do we care about global missions? Why is that something that is central to our vision as a church? I think those are valid questions and valid concerns, and hopefully, as we answer the question today, why global missions, those questions are answered as we go. So today, to answer that question, why do we care about global missions, we're going to be in Psalm 117. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, Psalm 117 is where we'll be. Now, this psalm is um, interesting to me right now because um, something that happens in our house is uh, one of the last things that Courtney does um, before she goes to bed every night is read a psalm. And her bedtime routine is a lot longer than mine anyway. And so generally, by the time she's getting to the psalm reading, I'm like, let's go already. You know? Um, And so the other night, um, I knew that she was about to read. And I said, you know, um, you should consider reading Psalm 117 tonight because I read it earlier today and it was just so, so impactful to me. Um, And... uh, I hadn't read it earlier that day, but she flipped to it, and she was like, oh, okay, thank you so much, yeah, okay. So she flips to Psalm 117, and what she didn't know that I knew is that Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Um, And so um, she read Psalm 117, but then she also read another Psalm. Um, So Psalm 117, we're gonna look at the whole thing today, all right, Um, so Psalm 117, we're gonna read it, first, and then we'll go back and unpack it. Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples. For his faithful love to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. So let's break this down. What's being commanded in these verses is praise and glory. It says, praise the Lord and glorify him. What do those words mean? These are words that we use commonly at church stuff, but what do they actually mean? The word praise means to cheer about something. To sing about something, to delight in something, to adore something for how valuable it is. That's what it means to praise. What does it mean to glorify something? The word glorify here in verse 1 means to boast about, to brag about, to rave about. That's what it means. And so, notice that both of these words, to praise and to glorify, both of these words are marked by pleasure and joy. There is pleasure in these words. This praise is not out of obligation. The message of this is not, hey, cheer about something. It's not obligation, it's celebration. This isn't something that, you're doing because you have to. It's something that you're doing because you just can't help it. That's what it means to praise something. That's what it means to glorify something. It's to be so, so aware of how great this is that I can't help but just praise. That's what it means to praise and glorify. So do you see this? That praise flows from pleasure. Praise flows from pleasure. When we enjoy something, we naturally praise it. You don't have to be convinced to do that. You just naturally do it when you enjoy something. So if they bring out, you know, a really delicious, you know, well-prepared piece of meat and they put it in front of you and you take a bite, they don't have to Hey. Would you make sure after you take a bite of this that you just really, like, really cheer about this and really talk about how great this was? That's what they would do if they were bringing out food that was terrible for you to eat. Hey, after you eat this, could you go tell them that it was good? And could you tell other people that, you know, you, thanks for the food? That's what you do when you're about to eat something bad. When you eat something that you love, a piece of pie, a piece of cake, a bowl of ice cream. When you eat something that you enjoy, you naturally praise that thing. This is not just true of food. This is true of so many areas. Food, wine, trails, a view that was amazing, a vacation that you went on that was amazing, amazing, a motor that you're really excited about, a building that you see, a business that you helped to build, or a business that you had a really great experience with, a college, a football team, your children, a man or a woman. When you enjoy something, you naturally praise it, because praise flows from pleasure. We praise what we enjoy. But here's what's also true. Not only does praise flow from pleasure, but praise also leads to more pleasure. Praise leads to more pleasure. Um, this idea comes from C.S. Lewis in his Meditations on the Psalms. And this is kind of a classic C.S. Lewis reasoning. But for so long, he had a hard time. He was just put off by this God in the Psalms who's commanding praise. Like, you know, who are you that you're just so needy? But then he realized that this praise was coming out of pleasure that people experienced with him and that An experience of pleasure isn't really complete until it's been praised. So, he says that praise not only expresses delight, but praise completes delight. So, when you are enjoying something... That experience of enjoyment isn't really complete until you've praised it. And the act of praising it actually brings more pleasure. Let me give you an example. Imagine that it's January. And the Seahawks are in the NFC Championship game. Okay? And we're in the NFC Championship. We're playing the Buccaneers, let's say. All right? and we're, we've got the chance to defeat Tom Brady, all right? And a trip to the Super Bowl is on the line, and we're down in the fourth quarter, because we're always down in the fourth quarter, and <laughs> Russell Wilson has a chance to lead us out there, and he's gonna drive us down the field, and so he starts to do that, and we, get a, we hit a few first downs, and then we're moving it down the field, and then there's just a few seconds left, we've got one more play, And Russell Wilson in classic, you know, fashion runs the play but doesn't do anything that the play was designed to do and instead just runs around for a while, all right? And suddenly it's been like 30 seconds and he's just running around. And then he leans back and he throws a deep pass into the end zone and it's completed. And the players on the field and on the sideline just start going crazy, all right? And it's a home game because it's always a home game in the playoffs in our fantasy world, okay? And so we're, you know, we're all getting to watch. And COVID's over and we're all there in person and the people on the field are going crazy because they've just thrown this incredible touchdown. And then imagine that everybody in the stands just goes, that was awesome, wow, that was so great. Man, do you think you'll watch the Super Bowl next week? Yeah, me too. It'll be so good. Man. Well, all right. Good job, Russell. Um, glad you guys had that. Uh, touchdown pass completed. Um, y'all ready to go? We won. <laughs> do you see how unfitting that is for the moment? Like, not only is the delight that you experience when that, when that, touchdown is completed, not only is the the delight not really complete and full until you praise what you experienced, but the act of praising also leads to more pleasure and enjoyment. The after party is going to be just as good as the catch. Why? Why? Because praise not only flows from pleasure, but praise also leads to more pleasure. This is why the lyrics say, isn't she lovely? Wasn't that awesome? That's inviting more praise. Because in more praise, there's more pleasure. And that's the idea here. The invitation is not an obligation, it's a celebration. The invitation is not an obligation. Hey, you guys really ought to praise the Lord, you know. Instead, it's a celebration. It's not that you have to, it's that you can't help it. And who is to be praised like that? It says, praise the Lord. The Lord is the one who should make it possible for us to naturally praise. Who is the Lord? Well, if you're new to reading the Old Testament, this is just a helpful little thing to look for. When you see the word Lord in all caps, that's on purpose. It's not just like, Lord! Um, The reason that Lord is in all caps is that's the translator's way of letting the reader know that in the original language, this was the name of God being used, the name Yahweh. Now, in traditional Jewish culture and even today, they are careful about saying the name Yahweh in order to make sure that it stays revered. And so, if you went to a synagogue and had a Bible study with some Jewish people, when they would come to the word Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible, they would say Adonai out loud, which is the word Lord. And so in English, we've carried that tradition over and um, we translate the word Yahweh with the word Lord in all caps so that the reader knows this is where the word Yahweh was used, um, but we're not gonna use that out of respect That's kinda how that works, all right? And so the reason that's significant is because when it says praise the Lord, It's not just speaking about some generic God out there. Instead, it's saying, Praise the God of Abraham. Praise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Praise the God who is, the one who has always been and the one who always will be, the one who has no beginning and no end. Praise him. Praise the God who rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. That's who we are to praise. Praise the Lord. And then notice who is being invited into this celebration. Praise the Lord, glorify Him, all nations and all peoples all nations and all peoples. And the word nations there is just a synonym for the word peoples in verse 1. It doesn't refer to political groups that are divided by geographic borders. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking instead not about political groups, but about people groups. That's who is to praise the Lord. That's who's being invited, people groups. So here's what a people group is. A people group is a group of people who share common language and common culture. They share common language and common culture. So there are just over 200 nations in the world today, meaning political, geopolitical structures. Just over 200. But there are Missiologists estimate over 17,000 people groups. That's who's being invited to praise. That's who's being invited into the celebration. It's not just every nation, meaning every landmass that has been claimed by some political organization. Instead, it's every people group. And so let me give you an example of what this might look like. Um, In the nation of India today, okay? We've got a map of this on the screen for you. In the nation of India, do you see these red dots? Each of those dots represents a people group that is unreached, and we'll talk about what unreached means in a little bit. But all of those dots represent different people groups within that one country. And so in the one, one nation, India, there are thousands of people groups. Uh, there's 2,700 people groups in India. This information comes from an organization called the Joshua Project. I would encourage you to Google that and spend some time on their website just reading some of their uh, information. It's very, very helpful and interesting. But the Joshua Project um, works to track people groups in the, in the world for this purpose, so that they might become part of this celebration. So even though India is one nation, there's 2,700 people groups in India, and here's why this matters. For Psalm 117 to be true, there can't just be some Christians in India. Like, well, we did it, all nations. All right, check, make sure you cross India off the list because we, we got that nation covered in order for Psalm 117 to be true, all the people groups in India need to praise the Lord. And so the vision here is not just, well, if we could actually reduce the number of countries in the world, if we could conquer more land, then we would be able to take over and then we could claim more territory for Christ. That's, that's not the idea here. The idea is that the people themselves, the peoples, the diverse peoples of the earth would praise the Lord. And so then the question is, why should all the peoples of the earth praise the God of Abraham? Why should all the peoples of the earth praise the God of Israel? Why should they all have to praise this God? Verse 2 tells us, for his faithful love to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. So, Sing praise, or hallelujah. Why should all the peoples of the earth praise the Lord? Well, wait a minute. Before this starts to seem like an obligation, remember what it means to praise. The question is not, why do all the nations of the world have to praise God? Man, what a tyrant up there in heaven trying to force everybody into submission. Instead, all the nations of the earth are invited in to celebrate with the Lord. Why? Because his faithfulness endures forever and his love is great. Do you know what the word great means here? This word great, elsewhere in the Hebrew Scriptures, is translated as prevail. It's translated as to win a victory. And so, the idea here is that God's faithful love is great. It prevails. It wins. What does it triumph over? Well it triumphs over what would keep me and you and all peoples from being able to join this celebration, and that is our sin. See, what I have in common with you and with all the peoples of the earth every one of those people groups in India and every other nation in the world. What what I have in common is that I look at the God who made me, the Lord, the one who is and who always will be and who always has been. I look at that God and I think, I'm smarter than you. I know better than you. Yeah. I know that this is how you say that the world should work, but here's what would actually be better for me. I do that, you do that, and all the peoples of the earth do that. We arrogantly and foolishly look at God and say, I'm going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm not going to listen to you. And that started in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 when we chose to listen to our own ideas and the ideas of the enemy rather than listen and obey God's word. That is true of all humans. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have broken off from God. Rather than praising him, we've praised ourselves and we've praised all kinds of false gods and left on our own, we would never join in with that song to praise the Lord. We would never do that. To be commanded to praise in our, in our hearts is such an arrogant, stupid thing. And so we arrogantly turn away from him. In our natural sinful hearts, we all read this like something that the tyrant in heaven is trying to force on us. And that's the good news of this little small chapter is the praise is not an obligation. It's a celebration. And the reason that we are invited in is because even though we have sinned and looked at him and said, oh, what a tyrant and an evil, he still loved us. His love prevails over our arrogance. And so what has he done? He has sent his son, Jesus, into the world all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that is, made right with him, brought back to him, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 3, 24, the verse after the verse that you all had to memorize as a kid. When we are tempted to look at this as an obligation, God overcomes that. He overcomes our sinful, foolish arrogance by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus comes and he goes to a cross and he dies in the place of sinners. He dies the death sinners should have died. And he is raised from the dead so that we can say, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. That is what is accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's done this, 1 John chapter 2 says, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world world. And so this verse, this declaration, this command to praise the Lord is not twisting people's arms into submission to God. It's an invitation to come and see what God has done for you. Come be reconciled to the one true God who made you. Come experience what it's like to be set free from the fear that holds you captive and the shame that holds you down and the guilt. Come experience what it's like to not have to live in fear but instead to get to live in power with Jesus. Come experience what it's like not to just live in shame, but to get to experience honor from the one true God. And come experience not what it's like to have to live in your guilt, but come experience what it's like to be forgiven. That's the invitation. Praise the Lord, all peoples, praise Him, all nations. For his faithful love to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. So sing praise. Hallelujah. So if you're here today, you're invited. You're invited into the celebration. And what it would look like for you to join the party is simply to recognize the foolishness of your sin and trust in the unfailing love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's answer the question then why are we passionate about global missions as a church? To quote John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, missions exist because worship doesn't. Why are we passionate about global missions? Because we are invited into a celebration that is not taking place around the world. We are invited to come and worship this God whose love is great, whose love prevails against our sin, and that worship is not happening. And so we do missions to see that happen. We do missions so that we see praise take place, so that More people can experience the pleasure that produces praise, and more people can experience more pleasure as they praise. That's what we're doing. That's why we're passionate about global missions. And so as followers of Jesus, our mission is not only to worship God. If that was all we were called to do, then God would take us back to be with him right now. Instead, what we are called to do is to help see God be worshipped by all the peoples of the earth. And so that's why we're passionate about global missions. Sadly, there are over 7,000 people groups today, representing more than 2 billion people who do not have any followers of Jesus praising the Lord in their language. We call these groups unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a people group that has less than 2% of their population following Jesus. This, when we talk about unreached peoples, we're not talking about your neighbor who is not a Christian. And we're not talking about the ministry taking place in a country like Haiti or Mexico, where they're doing a lot of great work to try and see lost people come to faith. Those are excellent things to do. We should care about our neighbor who lives across the street, and we should care about the work in Mexico and Haiti and wherever else. But those are not what we're talking about when we talk about unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a people group that has less than 2% of people in their native language and in their common culture who follow Jesus. Um, The Joshua Project says it like this. Unreached peoples are those who have no opportunity to hear the gospel at all. They don't have a chance because they don't have a Jesus follower nearby to explain the good news of Christ to them. In most instances, there is no church, no Bible, and no way of hearing about the love of God and his redeeming work through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. There's just, there's no one in the language in the world who could even say it to them. And missiologists have, for years now, been talking about what's called the 1040 window. Uh, We've got a map of this on the screen for you. The 1040 window is an area of the world with the largest number of unreached people groups in the world. In this area, you see all of those red dots represent unreached people groups. In that area, there are also some of the world's leading and highest concentration of what are called mega cities which are just major urban uh, centers of life and commerce. And so this means that one of the most strategic decisions that could be made if we want to see Psalm 117 be accomplished is to focus our efforts at sending Christians and sending missionaries to these megacities in the 1040 window. It is hard work. It'll take years of faithful work to see fruit. But as followers of Jesus, our mission is not only to worship God, but to see God worshiped by the peoples of the earth. And I think that means we've got to be intentional about sending missionaries and supporting missionaries, especially in the 1040 window. Here's the good news. As we already know what the end of the story is, we already know what the future is. Revelation chapter seven, the apostle John has this vision and here's what he sees. Revelation seven, verse nine. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, people, And language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see what happens in the end? Psalm 117 comes true. All of the red dots get filled. That's the future. The question that I have to answer and that you have to answer is are we going to use our little story The years that we have to participate in the story that will last forever? Are we going to use our story to be a part of that story? This is why Jesus commanded us just before he ascended Matthew 28 Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you make your story part of this story, you will, you will play a part in a story that never ends. It's the never-ending story. So, how can you make your life about this vision? How can you make your story about this story? How can you make Psalm 117 something that you participate in? I want to share three things that you could do. First, is you should pray. Pray. What should you pray for? Pray for workers to be sent out. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So pray to the God of the harvest to send out workers. So pray for God to send people to unreached people groups. Make that a prayer. You can also pray for unreached people. Um, There's an app that I would encourage you to download. It's called, uh, hold the service is really bad in here, so uh, Unreached of the Day. Unreached of the Day is the name of the app, and this is made by the Joshua Project, which was the ones who made the maps that we were looking at earlier, and every single day there's a different unreached people group that is highlighted that you can pray for in your quiet time. Today's it's called the Bumbra. The Bumbera. There's 4,700 of them who live in uh, Guinea. Anyway, you can read all, a lot of stuff about them. But I would encur- encourage you to download this app and just make this part of your regular quiet time that you're going to, for a few minutes, pray for unreached peoples. And it gives you some things that you can pray for them about and then also, you could pray for our church to be a church that continues to faithfully open God's word and preach it. And I think that is, in the short term, one of the healthiest and wisest ways for a church to participate in global missions is just to be committed to preaching the Bible. And the reason is, if as we preach the Bible, we will naturally talk about things like this because it comes up everywhere. And long-term, we want to form Christians who think like Jesus and who have a heart for people because they think like Jesus. And I think the way that the Holy Spirit, and this is a long play, the way the Holy Spirit does that is through the preaching of his word. So you can pray that we would be a church who does that, who loves one another well, who practices the ordinary means of grace here. So, How can you make your life about this vision for all nations? First, start by praying. Second, is you can give. You can give to Highlands. When you give to Highlands, you're giving to work that supports global missions. You can also give specifically to a missions agency or a missionary. There are a lot of great ones we'd love to recommend some to you, but you can pray, you can give, and then finally, you can go. You can go. You can go on a short-term trip. Um, There are some, I think, coming up. Anyway, uh, Pastor Samuel will be out in the lobby. You can talk to him. He would be able to answer questions with you, uh, for you about that. Um, But you can go on a short-term trip. But maybe God is also calling you to go for good on a long-term trip. Something that's happening right now, and it's super cool to read about, is... um, college students are, are grabbing hold of this vision and they're graduating with jobs in accounting and tech and pharmacy and engineering and all kinds of different you know, fields. And they've got to take a job somewhere And so what they've begun to do is decide, I want to use my life strategically for the advancement of the gospel around the people groups of the world. And so they've started to take jobs in the megacities in the 1040 window. Not so they themselves will end up being a missionary there, although sometimes that happens, but so they can go and support the work there that's already happening. Maybe God is calling you to do the same thing. Something that I think every follower of Jesus must ask is, what am I doing to make disciples of all nations? What is God calling my role to be in that? And maybe for you, after you retire, instead of moving down to Arizona or wherever, or Florida, you know, someplace warm and conservative, maybe you're going to Baghdad, all right? I don't know what it might look like for you, but I know that if you're a follower of Jesus, you become a fisher of men. So today, as we end, we are just going to join in this celebration together. So I'd invite you to stand right now. We're gonna sing together, and this song is all about this idea of seeing Jesus be praised among the nations.